Thank you for listening in to the Cornerstone Baptist Church podcast. For more information, visit our website at cumberlandcornerstone.org. Let's take our Bibles this morning and go once again to John chapter 4. John chapter 4. We began to look at uh, the first half of the chapter last week, the very familiar story of the woman at the well. And uh, this morning now we want to think about the Lord of the harvest as we finish up the chapter. So we're going to begin reading in verse 31 and read down through the end of the chapter. It says, In the meantime, his disciples urged him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat of which you do not know. Therefore the disciples said to one another, Has anyone brought him anything to eat? Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Do you not say there are still four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields, for they are already white for the harvest. And he who reaps receives wages and gathers fruit for eternal life, that both he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. For in this the saying is true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that, you, that for which you have not labored. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labors. And many of the Samaritans of that city believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans had come to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his own word. Then they said to the woman, Now we believe, not because of what you said, for we ourselves have heard him, and we know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. Now after the two days, he departed from there and went to Galilee. For Jesus himself testified that a prophet has no honor in his own country. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans received him, having seen all the things he did in Jerusalem at the feast. For they also had gone to the feast. So Jesus came again to Canaan of Galilee, where he had made the water wine. And there was a certain nobleman whose son was sick at Capernaum. When he heard that Jesus had come out of Judea into Galilee, he went to him and implored him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. Jesus said to him, unless you people see signs and wonders, you will be by no means believe. The nobleman said to him, sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus said to him, go your way, your son lives. So the man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him, and he went his way. And as he was now going down, his servants met him and told him, saying, Your son lives. Then he inquired of them the hour when he got better. And they said to him, Yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. So the father knew that it was at the same hour in which Jesus said to him, Your son lives. And he himself believed and his whole household. This again is the second sign Jesus did when he had come out of Judea into Galilee. As I said, today we want to talk about the Lord of the harvest. And I brought back to memory when I was at Cedarville uh, many, many, many years ago. Uh, one year that when we were there, we decided to make a little bit of spending money by going to a local orchard and picking apples. Now, for us, uh, when I went to Cedarville, we were on what were known as quarters. And uh, so there were three 10-week quarters instead of two 16-week semesters. And because of that, we actually didn't go back to school till almost the end of September. 
And uh, so we hadn't been in school too long, really the first or second week that we were over there at this orchard picking apples. And uh, for a couple of days, we picked the apples off the tree. And, and I don't remember all the instructions, but there were specific instructions. In other words, they said, hey, dummies, don't just go and go whoop. You know, we had to turn them a certain way, try to get the stem and, and all. And like I said, I don't remember all of that. But, but I remember that they gave us specific instructions for harvesting these apples. And then a couple days, we just picked up apples off the ground, and that was a lot easier. You know, and they were going to go for things like cider and different things along those lines. Uh, which, by the way, have you ever been around when they were making cider? Boy, the bees really flock around the, the cider when they're making cider. But, you know, it might not be crucial with apples, or as crucial with apples. But one of the things I learned through that experience is that when it comes to harvesting crops, timing is very, very important. With some crops, there is a very small window of opportunity for harvest. And, and for some crops, they can't even wait an extra day or two. It has to be harvested when it's ready, when it's ripe. And, and the farmer is the one who knows when the crop is ready. And he has to do whatever he can, including hiring college kids, if he has to, to harvest his crop. You know, and, and as I thought about that, as we come to John chapter 4, we see the Lord Jesus Christ engaged in even a more important kind of harvesting, if you will. And that is the harvesting of souls. Uh, in the first half of the chapter, we looked at that last week, he demonstrated to us how to effectively witness, how to effectively harvest a soul for God, as he talked with that Samaritan woman there by the well. And now in the second half of the chapter, he teaches his disciples, and hopefully us as well, some very important lessons about this work of harvesting, this work of, of reaching souls for Christ, about working in God's harvest field. And that's something, by the way, all of us are to be doing. We are all to be working in God's harvest field. And uh, we pick up the story, the disciples have come back from going into town to, to buy food. And uh, they, when they get back, they saw, if you remember from last week, they saw Jesus talking with this Samaritan woman, and they were a little, you know, not nervous about that, but they kind of wondered what he was doing. And, and they didn't question him, though, but, but he comes back, and, and, uh, and uh, as we look at the passage this morning and pick it up from that point on, we are looking at it again in light of the question, who is this Jesus? And we see him this morning as the Lord of the harvest. He's not only harvesting himself, doing the harvesting himself, but he's also teaching his disciples some of the valuable lessons that we all need to learn about working in his harvest field. And so we want to learn the lessons that he is teaching here this morning. And so let's look at them. Uh, they, they, they come out in verses 31 through 37 as, as his disciples come back from, from trying to buy food in town and find him talking to this woman. And then they, they kind of ask him what's going on. And he shares this, this story, not this story, these lessons with them. And we want to dig into them this morning. In verse 31, we see the first lesson. And that is there is satisfaction in the work. There is satisfaction in the work. In the meantime, his disciples, verse 31, urged him, saying, Rabbi, eat. Remember, they went into town to get some food. 
And he said to them, I have food to eat of which you do not know. And they said to one another, has anyone brought him anything to eat? And Jesus said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. You know, one of the things that is true is that every one of us, every person on the face of this earth seeks meaning and purpose in life. Every one of us seeks some kind of satisfaction, some sense of satisfaction. And we know that because people are looking in many different directions and in many different areas to find that satisfaction to find that meaning and purpose. We are all pursuing many different things to find some measure of satisfaction, some measure of purpose in life, whether it is uh, through money, whether it is through our jobs, whether it is through relationships, whether it is through things, whatever it is, we're trying to find purpose. We're trying to find satisfaction in life. And here, Jesus makes it very clear to his disciples that the greatest satisfaction in life comes from doing God's will, from finishing God's work. The greatest satisfaction, at least should be the greatest satisfaction for any of us as believers, is to harvest in God's field, to finish God's work. You know, uh, working in God's harvest field is more satisfying than anything else we could possibly do. In fact, look at verse 32. Uh, The disciples in verse 31 said, Lord, we went and got this food you need to eat. And Jesus said, I have food to eat of which you do not know. You know, working in God's harvest field is more satisfying than any physical meal you could ever eat. And I know that all of us have eaten good meals at some point in time. You know, and all of us know that feeling of contentment, if you will, that satisfied feeling after just finishing off a good meal. Or maybe it's not even as satisfied. It's like, oh, man. You know, and we feel full, and we feel content, and we feel really satisfied. Well, here the Lord says... That feeling of satisfaction that comes after, you know, eating a good meal cannot compare with that which comes from doing God's work, from finishing God's work. I'm sure all of us have experienced the satisfaction that comes from completing some kind of project. From, from finishing something that, you know, we started, uh, some special project. And it's like, wow, we finished that. Man, it looks good. I'm glad. You know, I, I'm not very good with my hands. Never have been. My dad is really good at, at, with his hands. But I can remember, I, I didn't even, wasn't even really that great with putting models together. But I can remember my dad and I sitting down to put a model together. And, and, uh, and he helped me with it. It was the USS Enterprise, not the Starship Enterprise, not that nonsense up there. We're talking about the aircraft carrier. And I can remember it as of yesterday. It was the day of Super Bowl three. Now, we just had Super Bowl 54, so you know how old, long ago that was. But it was Super Bowl three, one of the saddest days of my young life. The Baltimore Colts lost to the New York Jets. That was, that was t- terrifying, you know, it's sad. But I can remember that afternoon, and the Super Bowl used to be in the afternoon, sitting there watching the game with my dad, putting together this model. 
And you know what? I, can, I, I still have that model somewhere. It's in my, my box of stuff from my childhood that I treasure, you know, that we all, maybe some of us have. But I can still remember looking at that model and thinking, man, I did that. Well, my dad helped, but I, I did that. You know, that feeling of satisfaction when we complete something. Here Jesus said, when we commit ourselves to God's will and to God's work, there is no greater satisfaction than that. There's no greater satisfaction than working in God's harvest field, than sharing in the, the work that God has called us to do. Satisfaction in the work. The second lesson we see here in verse 35, and that is sensitivity to the season. Look at verse 35. Do not say there are still four months. Do you not say there are still four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields for they are already white for harvest. You know, working in the harvest means being sensitive to the the time of year, to the season, when, when it's time for the harvesting to come. And as I mentioned earlier, with some crops, the, the, the harvesting is crucial as to its timing. And Jesus here wants to teach his disciples about the seasons in the spiritual harvest. In, in farming, after the crop is planted, he said there, there's about four months before the harvest, before there is grain in the fields. But Jesus says that's not the case in the spiritual harvest. No, he says uh, there are certainly sowing and reaping, and there must be sowing before you can reap. But in the spiritual harvest, we have no idea what has already been taking place in somebody else's life, in somebody's heart. We don't know what has already been sown. We don't know what has already been cultivated. And he says that in verse 37, for in this say, the saying is true, one sows and another wheat reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you have not labored. Others have labored and you have entered into their labors. And, you know, at times as we are sharing our faith, we may conclude like others, like the disciples did, that, you know, that, that this person is going to require an awful lot of work. And, you know, I'm not sure I, I, I've got the time. Or, or, you know what, I, the disciples had kind of concluded these Samaritans really aren't even worth the, work, the effort. And, and I think you need to get this picture in your mind. Remember the lady, the woman from the well went back into town and she told the, all the people in town, what? Right outside of town is the, is the Messiah. Right outside of town is Jesus. And so now Jesus is talking to his disciples, and as he's talking, this is the picture I get in my head, and, and I think it's right. Uh, the, the people are starting to stream out of town to come and meet Jesus. And what does Jesus say to his disciples? The harvest is white. Here they come, guys. You know, you didn't think they were worth the, you know, the effort, but here they come. And, and, and uh, you know, uh, you might have said a lot of work was required. No, they're coming right now. And Jesus is the Lord of the harvest. And only he knows when people are ready. And he says to the disciples here, they're white already for the harvest. They're ready for harvest. They're, you know, they're, they're ripe. They're ready for the harvest. And, and what I would say to us is this. We need to be sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit in this matter. 
We need to be sensitive to the prompting of the Holy Spirit in this matter. We must never underestimate what God can do. You know, when you're working with that, that friend at work or when you're working with that coworker, or when you're talking to somebody in a neighborhood or you meet in the market and the Lord is prompting you to say something to them, say it. Because we have no idea. And, you know, I know you and I know me and some people we look at and say, God would never save that person. Right? Think of what have we been looking at on Sunday night, Saul of Tarshish. Every one of us in this room, if we would have been alive doing, when Saul of Tarshish was, was alive, would have said, there ain't no way that guy's getting saved. But God was working in his heart. And we need to have spiritual vision. We need to be able to see the harvest. And Jesus says, lift up to his disciples, lift up your eyes, guys. Here they come. Look at the fields. Don't judge by human sight. Be sensitive to the Lord's direction. When he says to look, man, the harvest is ready. The harvest is ready. Look at the third one. The third one is a sense of urgency in the work. You know, when we're working in the harvest, there needs to be a sense of urgency because Jesus said what? The, the fields are already white for the harvest in verse 35. You know, when the crop is ready, don't delay. You know, and timing is essential. Timing is important. There needs to be a sense of urgency as we share the gospel with people, as we work in the hearts of, uh, work in the lives of other people. The, the harvest, the, the time is now to share. And that means that the, the work of God must be a priority in our life. There must be a priority in my life that puts God's work first. You know, so many times, either I have said or I've heard people say, you know what, I'm going to serve God at another time. Well, I'm just really, really busy right now. And I understand there are times when we are really, really busy. But sometimes I even hear, you know what, I'm going to serve God when I retire or when I get through this project or when I do that or when I'm not as, as busy as I am right now or some other excuse. But what does Jesus say to the disciples? The time is now. The time is now. We need to be busy in the harvest field of God right now. Oh, we might have other times and other seasons in our life when we become, can even get even more busy, if you, like, if you will. But each and every one of us uh, is in the, the, the business of harvesting for God. And we need to be busy about that work. Look at the next one. You'll like this one. What's the salary? You know, in our world, that's the bottom line, right? You know, we're, we're concerned about this bottom line. What's in it for me? You know, just this past week, I, I, those of you that are into sports, this past week there's been this, all this brouhaha about the, the coach who left Colorado from Michigan State. And yet, you know what, folks? He doubled his salary. And I doubt that many of us in here, if someone came along and said, hey, I'll offer you this job and I'll double your salary, most of us, bottom line, right? Oh, I'm in. I'm in. See, that's the bottom line for a lot of us. What's the salary? Well, well working in, in God's harvest field seems to be a thankless job. There's a lot of obstacles. But I want you to know that the Lord of the harvest will take good care of his workers. 
And they are going to receive, we are going to receive wages for our work. And they are going to be eternal wages. You know, we went and picked apples for a couple bucks. Those couple bucks didn't last very long. When I work in God's harvest field, he pays me wages that are going to last for all of eternity. In fact, those wages are the only wages that have any lasting value, any eternal value. Whatever we earn in this life here, we're going to what? We're going to leave it behind. You're going to, you know, you're only going to have your earthly wages, the, the fruit of your labors here for, for a brief time. The question we should be thinking about is this. How much are we going to receive when it comes to the wages of eternity? When we stand before Christ, what are we going to receive? Is there going to be a lot of weeping there because I didn't take the opportunity to serve the Lord? Because I'm not going to get many rewards. I'm not going to get many, many wages. Or are we going to reap uh, you know, the, 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 the great wages that Christ wants to give to us for working in his field? You know, folks, keep this in mind. The Lord of the harvest has the best pay scale. He has the best pay scale. Look at the next one. The next lesson is support from other workers. In verses 36 through 38, he who reaps receives wages and gathers fruit for eternal life that both he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. For in this the saying is true, one sows and another reaps. I want you to know this. We are not alone in God's harvest field. You know, there may be times when we feel like we're alone. There may be times, you know, I'm the only Christian here. I'm the only Christian there. Remember, remember Elijah? Elijah thought, I'm the last one to stand for God. And God had to say, what? I got 7,000 more. You know, you're not on your own. And sometimes it feels like we might be the only Christian at the office. And you may be. But you're not the only Christian in God's work field. And we are not alone. God has other workers in his field. Some of those workers are sowing. Some of them are reaping. Some of them are planting seeds in people's mind. You don't even have any idea about that that, that, that seed was being planted by that. Others are, are reaping. But we're all part of the same team. And we're all, the, the neat thing is we all get to share in the joy of the harvest. Sometimes we sow. Sometimes we reap. Sometimes we're just kind of in the middle, keeping the seed going along. And we might not know what someone else has already done in this person's life. And we can, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3, enter into their labors. You see, it's a team effort. And, and, and you might look at that person at work and you might look at that person at home and say, you know, I, I just, I don't think there's any way we're going to get through. And you have no idea that, that Bill over here has been talking to him for a long while. Planting the seed, planting the seed, planting the seed. And we come along and sometimes we're watering the seed. And sometimes God gives us the, the joy of being there when the seed is harvested, when someone comes to know the Lord. But we're not alone in the work. We are laborers together in the harvest field. So those are some lessons that we can learn from the Lord 
as we work in his harvest field. But look at the challenge. The challenge comes in verse 38 when Jesus says to the disciples, I sent you to reap that for which you have not labored. Others have labored and you have entered into their labors. Jesus told the disciples, I sent you to reap. And he now faces them with the challenges that they faced. Think about these guys. They had gone into this very village to buy food. And in doing so, they had to have come into contact with some of the very people that are now coming out, right? I mean, if all the people in town are now coming out to meet Jesus, they had to have talked to some of them. And what did they spend their time talking about? Hey, man, I need a hamburger. Hey, you got, you got any Mountain Dew in there? You know, and, and we're, we're, they were there to get food. And that's all they saw. They saw their mission as one of buying food. We're going to buy food. We're, we're not going to talk to these dirty Samaritans about the Lord. We're just here to buy food. Jesus said in verse 38, I sent you to do what? Reap. And you didn't even bother to do that. There were people in that village who needed to know that Jesus was just outside the village. But from what we see here, the disciples never even thought to tell them that. Maybe they thought these Samaritans were not good prospects. The only reason they're coming out to meet Jesus is why? Because the Samaritan woman went back into town and said, hey, you aren't going to believe who's right outside. His disciples were in town. Jesus said, I sent you to reap. You know, I will often wonder in my own life how many times the Lord, you know, says that to me. I sent you to reap and boy, you blew it. Your mind was somewhere else. You didn't think the prospect was good enough. You know, you didn't think I could ever possibly work. I don't don't know. But the challenge here to all of us, the Lord says to us, when you walk out those doors, I sent you to reap. I sent you to reap. Well, let's look at the results as we close this morning. Results in the Lord's harvest field. The first thing I want you to consider is the significant impact of one person's witness. And and that's the bottom line for us, folks. You know, uh, we sometimes think we we aren't making any headway with people. We sometimes think, and what, what difference can I make? Let me show you what difference one person made. You know, uh, verse 39. And many of the Samaritans of that city believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified. He told me all that I ever did. You know, we're often distracted by doubts. We're often distracted by thinking that, you know, my witness wouldn't mean anything to that person anyway. My, my witness won't have an impact. Oh, you don't know that. I couldn't have an impact on them. Satan loves to distract us. But I think there's a great lesson for us here in John chapter 4. And the lesson is the impact of one woman's witness. One woman's testimony. And think about that woman. We talked about her last week. She wasn't a very prominent woman in the town. She probably wasn't a very popular woman in the town. And her witness, you know, she she probably had limited skills. We know she hadn't gone to Bible college. 
But God used her simple, straightforward witness to impact a significant number of people. In fact, look at that simple and straightforward witness. In verses uh, 28 and 32-30 from last week, the woman left her water pot. She went her way into the city. She said to the men, come see a man who told me all things I ever did. Could this, remember he said last week, is this not the Christ? Her, her witness is very simple. Our witness should be very simple and straightforward. We are simply telling people, look what Jesus did for me. Look what Christ has done in my life. We don't need to be a theologian to do that. We don't need to have gone to Bible college to do that. We, you know, we, we don't even have to have gone to a witnessing class to do that. Don't be afraid of witnessing The only thing God asks us to do when we witness is share what? Christ. Look what Christ did for me. I was a sinner and he saved me. You know, we all have this. We have that song. This is my story. And now in verse 39, we notice that many believed. The impact of her testimony was both direct and indirect. The direct impact of her testimony was that many believed because of her testimony. They believed because of what she said. The indirect impact was that many others believed, not just because of her testimony, but because of hearing Christ for themselves. And we see that. Uh, The Samaritans, verse 40, uh, verse 39, many of the Samaritans believed in him because of the word of the woman. And many others, verse 42, believe not because of what you said, for we ourselves have heard him, and we know that this is indeed the Christ. But remember, why did they hear him? Because she said, you need to come listen. Because she said, you need to come hear the man. Either way, whether it was through her testimony or through coming to hear Christ, they believed And God's work was done. And it was because of the testimony of this woman. But there's one more thing I want to show you this morning. It seems to be a a totally different story. But the the second part of this chapter, the last part of this chapter, speaks to us about the simplicity of genuine faith. This this incident comes from another incident, but I think it's worthy of our notice. We see in verse 42 that the Samaritans believed because of what Jesus said. And we understand that faith rests on the word of God. And I think that's further illustrated for us here in this next miracle, the healing of the nobleman's son, verses 46 through 54. In verse 48, we read, Jesus says this, unless you people see signs and wonders, you will by no means believe. Jesus says some people will believe only because of what they see. But genuine faith rests on God's word alone, even when there are no visible signs. Here's a nobleman. He he comes to Jesus And he wants Jesus to go home with him because his son is very, very ill. And Jesus doesn't respond to that request. Jesus does not go home with this man. 
and, and the man, you know, continues to urge him, please come home with me. But Jesus does not. Instead, Jesus says to him, verse 49, the guy says, sir, come before my child dies. Jesus says, go your way, your son, what? Lives. Well, now what's the nobleman going to do? I got to admit, I know what I would probably do. Oh, oh but Lord, if you would come, then, I, then I'm sure he'll get better. Please come. Please, my son's going to die. The, the nobleman's at a crossroads here. He can believe Jesus and go home, or he can keep begging him to come. He could trust Jesus. He can believe what he said and go home. Or he could keep standing there talking to him. And what did the nobleman do? He chose to go home. In verse 51, and as he was now going down, his servants met him and said, your son lives. See, simple faith is what God wants. So our task as we work in the Lord's harvest field, is to encourage people not necessarily to believe me, but to take God at his word. Our job as, as harvesters is to encourage people to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and take him at his word that he is indeed the Savior of the world. I hope we've encouraged you this morning. As we leave these, you know, somebody has, and I'm sure you've heard that illustration before, but there are churches that have that over their doors. When we walk out of these doors, we are now doing what? We're entering the mission field. Whether you're a missionary or not, you, you, the truth of the matter is you are a missionary. And each one of us, as we leave here today, we are entering into God's mission field, the harvest field. We are his workers. Some of us, as we leave here, are going to be sowing. Some of us are going to be watering. Some of us are going to have the privilege of reaping. But we all are part of the same team. And I encourage you, never underestimate the impact that your witness can have for Christ. Because what do I always remind us? We're not the ones that save, him, save those people. That's not my job. That's God's job. God's job is to see that, that that person comes to salvation. It's not my job. You know, my job is simply to do what? Share. My job is to share the gospel. My job is to share what Christ has done for me. We do that as we leave here today. Maybe you're here this morning and you've never accepted Christ as your Savior. Maybe you still need to believe. Are you willing to come to faith in Christ Jesus today? Are you willing to take him at his word that he's the only one who can give you eternal life? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for just the opportunity to learn from you, the Lord of the harvest. And Lord, as we take some of these principles and put them into our, our life and, and uh, realize that these are still for today, help us to be very straightforward and simple in our witness for you. And, Lord, I, 
I pray for those who are here this morning who are believers, and most of us are. Lord, that we would take every opportunity that you give us to share our faith with those around us. Even with those people we think will never respond. Even with those people we think could never respond. Lord, help us to realize that you can do a great work in anybody's life. And Lord, I specifically pray even right now for those here who have never accepted Christ as their Savior. Lord, we know that there are some who come week after week after week. And they hear your word and they hear the gospel and they don't respond. Lord, today, may the Holy Spirit just convict them. May they realize that they are in need of salvation. That one day they're going to face eternity. They're going to face separation from you for all of eternity. And the only way to avoid that is to put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Lord, may that happen today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. For more information on our church located in Cumberland, Maryland, please go to cumberlandcornerstone.org.